So Money Episode 1077, Bill Perkins, author of Die With Zero. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. The current pandemic, it's an unfortunate way to get people off autopilot. You know, a lot of people get good at their jobs in order to become successful, and that becomes a habit. And that habit keeps them on autopilot, getting better and better and doing that thing where we don't pay attention to the reasons why we're doing that thing. In what ways has the pandemic had you rethinking your financial life? Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Chirabi. You just heard from our guest today, Bill Perkins, who is a longtime investor and entrepreneur, and now the author of a book called Die With Zero, which reexamines how many of us have been approaching our financial lives. Get a job, work, 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 save for retirement, die and then hopefully leave family and dependents some sort of an inheritance, a financial legacy, so to speak. To be honest, it's something that I sort of aspired to, and now that thinking has changed. In Bill's book, Die With Zero, Getting All You Can From Your Money and Your Life, he strongly opposes this long-held notion and argues that we should give money to our kids when they're young. Since you can't predict when you die and don't know how much you will have to leave, giving financial gifts to your children today allows you to control exactly what and when you give. And you'll be there to see the support being put to good use. What do you think about this? It's definitely a different way of thinking. After trading on Wall Street, Bill made his fortune in Houston as an energy trader. And these days, he's recognized for his glamorous lifestyle, high-stakes poker games, and he's been featured all over the map on Reuters, Financial Times, Time Magazine, CNBC, and so many other places. Bill shares his inspiration for this philosophy, how we can arrive at the idea of enough in our financial lives, and the best ways to give to your children while you're alive so that you don't spoil them. Here's Bill Perkins. Bill Perkins, welcome to So Money. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Congrats on your book, Die With Zero. It's not often that we talk about not saving your money on this show, but your book really emphasizes the importance of, you know, enjoying your money, having experiences while you're alive. You start off in the book talking about the moment when this idea kind of gelled for you and inspired the book, which is that you were in with your doctor getting a health screening and you know money's a big cause of stress so he naturally asked you about financial stress and he said do you have fears of running out of money and you said i hope i run out of money something the doctor had never heard before tell us what you mean by that yeah and so you know i'm i'm more about saving your life than saving your money and so you know there's this idea that you know we go to work for money to have experiences. And the first experiences that we're going to work for is survival, right? Food, health, shelter. Uh, and then after that, it's whatever experiences we want to have to want to have, whether that's putting a kid through college, going on vacation, raving in the club with glow sticks, whatever it may be. And each person has w- different experiences that they'd like to have before they die. And the way to get 
the maximum amount of experiences and, and, you know, experiences is kind of correlated with fulfillment and happiness to get the maximum out of it is to use all your resources, um, before you die. Exactly. You want to time it exactly when you die. And so I was hoping when I said that, like, I hope I run out of money is I was basically saying that I hope I have the fullest life possible. I you know, that I'm able to with the resources that I have. Yeah, there's back and forth between surviving versus thriving. You say in the introduction of your book, which you wrote in the summer of 2019, a much different time than when where we are today, that you know this book is not about making your money grow; it's about making your life grow, which you just discussed. Um, but you know, fast forward to now, a, a year later, how is your book finding relevance in the context of today, when many people who've been hard hit financially they don't really think in terms of thriving. It's really just about survival. Well, I, I think these times put an exclamation point in my book. And I think, you know, the current, the current pandemic, um, it's an unfortunate way to get people off autopilot. You know, a lot of people get good at their jobs in order to become successful. And that becomes a habit. And that habit keeps them on autopilot, getting better and better and doing that thing where we don't pay attention to the reasons why we're doing that thing. You know, the reasons why we're going to work, why are we going to work? What is the thing that we're hoping to accomplish? Now, you know, a lot of people are focused on survival, but then sometimes they just get focused on the number getting bigger and bigger and bigger and not what they're going to convert that money, that number into what experiences they want to have, you know? And so we wind up being like uh, hamsters on a wheel where at first, you know, the cheese was the, the reward. And then we just keep running because we're running and we never get the reward. You reference this term called optimal utility of money in your book. And you talk about a friend who is now a billionaire, but you knew him prior to even becoming a millionaire. And his goal at the offset was not to be a billionaire. His goal was to have 15 million in the bank and then retire. But then that never, that happened. And then he kept going and going and going. So when I hear optimal utility of money in layman's terms, that's like enough. Like what is your enough number. What's the calculus for that? I think that calculus is different for every person. It depends on what they want out of, of life. At, at the time, and we're talking about John Arnold, um, he, he basically identified a plane he wanted to buy, a house and these things, and he felt that was enough. And as he was good at his job, and he's one of the greatest commodity traders that ever lived, he just kept going, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Problem is, is that he kept working past the point of his ability to convert that money into experiences. He will not die with zero. As a matter of fact, he retired and went into philanthropy. And his philanthropy won't even be able to give away the money efficiently while, while, while as a single individual or even with the team he's hired. And so, you know, John was working for free and he didn't know it. I don't know exactly when that point was, but, but it, it happened in the past. And, you know, he gave me the job of punching him in the face. If he kept on working, obviously I didn't punch him in the face, but I didn't warn him that I was about to punch him in his face until he finally retired and I didn't have to punch him in his face. But it was definitely a little too late for him. And he, there was a period of his life that he basically just fitted away. What about the kids? This is a question that you even dedicated a whole chapter to in your book. It's a, it's a common follow-up to this die with zero philosophy. What are you actually saying as far as taking care of your children? Because a lot of people, they, you know, they aspire to passing down their wealth. What is your response to that? You know, a lot of people, when I say, you know, you should die with zero, I usually get the retort. Well, that sounds nice for somebody who doesn't have kids. And, you know, 
my, my first response is, I'm not talking about your kids' money. The money for your kids is theirs. It's not yours. You know, and so if you really care about your kids and we're really thinking about our kids, we should be separating that money out and putting it into protected account, protected accounts for them such that, God forbid, you get into an accident or some sort of legal battle. You get sued and you lose. You don't vaporize the kids money along with your money. That's one. Um, two, this idea that, you know, you're meant to have certain experiences at certain times of your life. There's many, many different seasons. You know, I won't be hella skiing when I'm 90. I won't even be in wave running when I'm 65 due to injuries. Um, and so the money for wave running and hella skiing, that's, that's now or never, right? And my glow stick days have passed me, you know, not because <laughs> of health, just because my attitude has changed, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I just don't get as much enjoyment because my mental facility, I don't know what it is. There's some sort of magic going on in the brain, but it's just not as exciting to rave all night in a club with glow sticks. Um, and so, you know, what experience you have is and you choose to have or also when you choose to have them. And this is true for you and this is true for your kids. And so I can tell you that the optimal time to give to your kids is not when you die. It's not 60 year olds. Right. That's not going to have the, the, the maximum impact because just like you, their health will decline. You know, most people reach uh, physical maturity, I believe, at 33 and mental maturity at 28. And then we plateau and then we're in decline. And so each year that passes, even each day, our ability to convert dollars into positive life experiences declines over time. And if we're trying to have the maximum impact on our kids' lives, we want to basically deliberately choose to give them money in a certain time frame. Now, certain kids may be more mature or less mature at a different age or, you know, have different physical characteristics, but we want to be deliberate about this. We don't want it to be uh, a tip at some random date in the future when we die, semi-random, uh, and to be a random amount. Who knows, you know, what we expent or whatever. And also, you know, quite morbidly, but, you know, factually, we have to confront the honest, uh, the, the hard card hole facts is that some of your kids may die before you, Right. We don't ever want that to happen, but it may happen, right? And so that means you'll be giving it to a random amount of money at a random date to random people. That's not what about the kids. That's not caring, right? That's just chance. And so the die with zero way is a very deliberate way. I want to get people off autopilot and think about maximizing their lives and their kids' lives. There is that challenge of balancing out spending and having enough so that you, so that your money like sort of lasts you, right? So we have as humans, this tendency to overspend. We don't like to delay gratification as it, as it turns out. And so the advice, you know, spend while you're living, I totally get it. And I so appreciate that. But for some people that has to be a, a measured approach. How do you measure this so that you don't run out of money before you die? Yeah, I, I, I talk about it in the book. You know, there's there's really like uh, almost infinite resources on on being frugal, uh, building wealth, building savings, et cetera. But the main thing I, I talk about is the number one experience people want to have, and that's survival. And making sure that you save and put enough money away that you have enough income for your health, your, your, your shelter and your, and your food, uh, when you no longer have any income. 
That is that is like and this is not like fancy on a yacht or, you know, big house, whatever. This is just basic survival. And then after that, we're saving for comfort or other experiences. And so once we've got survival nailed down and 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 my book is all about making sure you have that nailed down. Right. Um, because I don't want you to die early <laughs> and, and I don't want you to live in misery. I want you to live optimized. Once we have that nailed down, we start to think about what experiences we want to have when. And if you just think about your life as a timeline and you put out these these time buckets and you say, OK, here's the universe of experiences I can have and I can have them in any frequency I want. And you start dropping them into buckets. You'll naturally find out that you're putting more and more experiences closer to now, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, and they start to gradually taper off. And but Bill, we're behold, living to we're living to 120, you know. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, the, they're the, coming out with the magic pill soon. I think. The, you know, a lot of people are concerned about longevity risk, and 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 you know, I talk about that. Like, people have various um, uh, fears. Some of them rational, and some of them irrational. But you know, if you're if you're concerned about longevity risk, um, there's products out there called annuities that deal with that. Like most of us are familiar with life insurance, right? If you die early, you get, a, you know, you're, there's a big lump sum of money dropped on the, on your survivors, right? But there's a converse of that, which is, is longevity risk and, and annuities basically pay you a fix. You purchase it and they pay you a fixed sum of money, no matter how long you live on a monthly or annually uh, annual basis. And I'm not here to sell people annuities. I'm here to basically say, look, you know, we have people out there trying to act as insurance agents with a customer of one, right? That, that's very, very inefficient. Like if you came to me and be like, hey, Bill, I'm going to start an insurance company. I'm like, great. How many customers do you have? One, me. I'm like, that's a shitty insurance company. It's going to be very inefficient and it's going to have massive, massive premiums. And so people are oversaving, okay, in order to act as insurance agent for themselves for all these risks, rational or not. And it's costing them hours and years of their life of working and time that they can use being doing things and having wonderful experiences that they want to have. And so I'm, I'm about optimization, right? And I'm not telling you you can't be afraid of this or can't do this. I'm, I'm here to tell you that let's unpack all these things, look at them rationally, weigh them out, see what they're costing us, and optimize our life according to our choosing. Mm -hmm. I would say, though, if you do unfortunately die early and you have dependents, insurance is helpful. Or if not insurance, some money to take care of your your dependents for whatever for whatever needs there there remains. Either way, if you're if you're a young parent and you're like, okay, I'm going to you know you're very deliberate and you're like, I'm going to put five percent of my money into the kids trust fund to build it up, but I I'm, I could die early and I'm going to buy this insurance product that's in their trust as well. That's deliberate thinking and deliberate planning to, to plan for the things that risks you don't want to take or you don't want your family to take, right? All of us have different risk tolerances uh, and things that we're willing to accept and we're not willing to accept. My point is, is that you are not a good insurance agent. You're not the best insurance company, right? And so for every risk that is out there, there are financial products or experts out there to mitigate that risk better than you can. Right. And, and, and by doing that, you get hours and years of your life back. I want to dive more into your background, Bill, and uh, what drew you to finance. But first, I wanted to ask you about this great 
kind of idea, ideology you have in the book, which is manage your money like experiences and how to create experiences that pay back with dividends. Can you talk about that? Because I think right now a lot of us are feel limited in terms of the experiences that we can create, but there's no limit to the richness of whatever experience you do have and, and how it kind of creates this fabric of these, these memories for you that are priceless. Yeah, I, I I call it the memory dividend, and and you know the, the 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 you know when you have an experience, right? Not only do you get the enjoyment of having an experience, but you get the you get the enjoyment of the memory of that experience, and I call it the memory dividend. Every time you recall your first kiss or the home run you hit, or that job you nailed down, or whatever it is, right? You get enjoyment, a, a portion of the sometimes even more enjoyment, but a portion of what I call experience points of the original experience, you know, um, you know, ask anybody who's, you know, succeeded in some sort of accomplishment or had a romance or, or whatever. And when we sit down and we talk with our friends, we generally talk about experiences that we've had. And those experiences can compound because you're creating a new experience talking about your trip to Rome that year. And then you tell the funny story and then they laugh and then milk comes out of their nose and that creates another experience and so on. And so, you know, I, I want people to think about like when you invest in an experience, you know, you get these memory dividends and they pay out over time and you can withdraw from that memory bank and get that memory uh, dividend ad infinitum. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of like the narrative of who we are. Right. The, how I define myself, uh, you know, when you ask me who I am, well, you know, I went to school and I was an engineer and I was a trader and I was married and I have kids like all these experience constitute, you know, how I think of myself and, and not only, um, these experiences, the constitution of my health, but it is also a significant portion of my enjoyment. And I often tell people, you know, you don't retire on money, you retire on your memories, right? Like true retirement is when you, you sit in the house and you watch Jeopardy, you know, and you invite the grandkids over or, or, or your friends over and you talk about the old days and that's what you retire on. And so when, when I'm on a vacation or where I'm on a trip and then people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm investing in my retirement. This idea that you have dying with zero, it's it's not entirely new, right? I've I've heard about Steve Jobs' widow, Laureen Powell Jobs, who said that she wants to uh, basically spend all her money in her lifetime. She's worth $24 billion, so I hope she's got <laughs> so a team. Where, I'm sure she's got a team working on how to spend that money. If she needs help, I'm available. The Giving Pledge, of course, which is Warren Buffett and Bill and Melinda Gates pledge where they get other signees to give away the majority of their wealth to philanthropy. Yet it is still a novel idea. Um, it's making headlines for a reason. There's a book now like yours for a reason, because this is a requiring us to rethink the way that we have been living our lives. Why are we so attached to the other way, which is to sort of, you know, be a hamster on a wheel, work, 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 save for retirement, die, and hopefully give your kids a small or, or you know, nice sized inheritance? Why is that what, where we're gravitating all the time? You know, it's a mystery to me. I, I think it has to do with, you know, history, prior generations, you know, the Great Depression, baby boomers, um, you know, old habits and culture you know, they're, sometimes they're slow to change and they, and they die hard. And, you know, people, you know, there are people who don't have enough or are not frugal. And, you know, there's this huge ego attachment to, to, to being poor and, and, and not having any money. 
And there's a lot of fear associated with that. And I, I think, you know, that fear is, is, is I, think, I think the ranking of that fear is kind of misplaced. I think we should fear squandering our lives, you know? And so, um, you know, people have been so focused on getting rich and having this number and this number is enough and that number is enough and, and, and et cetera. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We should be working on net fulfillment over net worth. And for each person, that's going to be different. And, you know, I'm not here to like put out a number and a math formula. I'm coming out with a mental model for you to think about, hey, is it worth it for me to invest in this experience now or delay gratification 10 years from now and, and maybe have one and a half, two experiences later? And maybe I should consider the memory dividend now. Maybe I'll get more enjoyment than having two experiences later by having an experience now, you know, that type of thing. Um, th these, you know, old habits die hard. And so those who save, save too much. And that's clear in the data. And, and, and we also, it's clear in the data as people get older, they keep saving and saving. And so, you know, as I say in the book, or, or I say to my friends who are 65 or 70, I'm like, well, please tell me when does the party start? So now you here's know? a question about the system, right? So there's a whole industry called retirement planning that makes more money the more we save. So is that part of the problem too? Is that we're being fed a message that is incentivized? Yeah, I think, I think you know, when people get paid uh, for, for assets under management, obviously they want you to just keep building assets under management, right? They're not, they're not really there to maximize net fulfillment, right? I, I think there's an inherent conflict of interest. I'm not saying that they're evil, or whatever, but there's a natural bias. And I think people also like, oh, I want to have this big number. And, and there's some sort of like hedonic, false hedonic value from having a big number in a bank instead of having a big fulfilling life. And, you know, I would like financial advisors to start having candid conversations with their clients and say, okay, what are the experiences you want to have? When do you want to have them? Let's solve for that. Because yeah. that's a different thought process. We got to uh, think about uh, decumulating assets, right? at a certain time and spending down so we get this wonderful, most fulfilling ride you possibly could with the resources you have. Okay. Now let's shift gears and talk about young Bill. What was young Bill Perkins like as a kid? Were you always interested in numbers, money, finance? Tell me everything. No, no, no. I, as a young kid, I was more interested in, you know, breaking open speakers and seeing how they work and, and becoming an astronaut and reading the right stuff and stuff like that. But I, you know, I went to school for engineering and I knew that I wanted to learn it. The things I wanted to learn and the things I wanted to do were two different things. And the reason why is, is that an engineering career path was quite boring um, in terms of what it afforded you to do. In my mind, right? Because I, I was in college around, the, you know, when Wall Street was coming out, et cetera. And I saw, you know, these cartoonish characters, but they were having like these great, you know, adventurous lives and et cetera. And I, I was very impressionable about that. And I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to do whatever I want. <laughs> you know, I want to get rich. And so I was very, uh, you know, interested in science and, and, and numbers and et cetera. But I was also very delusional that I could get rich, that I could get fantastically rich and then I could um, then go do what I want. Um, because I was that delusional, I actually tried and succeeded. You know, you, you have to be a little, you know, I, I told somebody uh, earlier, I was like, you know, the salmon have to be pretty delusional to have salmon. 
you know, <laughs> swimming upstream is, is this, and the laying eggs, it's crazy. There's bears that are going to eat you. You got to hop. It's exhausting. You got to jump out of the water and flop up. It's, it's a crazy idea, but they do it. And, you know, I was one of the crazy people that believe they can do it. And, and, and I did it with a little luck and some hard work and, and, and great timing. I think Alan Greenspan calls that irrational exuberance in economic yes. terms. Maybe yeah. not delusional, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. it is human yeah, nature. Was, yeah, it is human nature to try. And, you know, that's that's one of the great things about being human is that we dream and we attempt our dreams. You made your fortune ultimately as a trader, which is, you know, a culture that is predominantly white. So I'm curious to hear how, if and how you're experience as an African-American was uh, working your way up in that within that culture? How would you characterize it? I, I mean, I, I was on a New York Mercantile Exchange where it was very tough. People were very blunt. Um, it was very racist and very sexist. Um, it was for me, you know, I was very much determined to get to the promised land, learn as much as I could. Um, you know, my, my idea is, is that if I knew more than the next guy and I kept making myself invaluable, they would have to pay me more and teach me more. Um, you know, I, I, I made the conscious choice to not get involved or to avoid battles associated with racism and sexism. You know, um, I feel really bad, especially for women back in the days, because they would just be like, we don't hire girls. They cry, you know. I, I think they actually got it worse. I mean, there were a few African-Americans uh, who got a choice due to racism and we had to deal with racial slurs and whatever and all this other kind of stuff. But for me, it was just a price that I had to pay to get to the promised land. And, and I felt like instead of battling then and becoming, you know, some martyr um, when, you know, I'm a young, arrogant kid trying to make, a you know, a zillion dollars, um, I figured that. Much like the my original goal that, hey, if I made enough money, then I can convert that money into the experiences I wanted to have. I can almost do anything. If I made enough money, I can help and turn around enough, more people's lives and raising a stink and dealing with the racism and sexism on the floor then. That's Luckily, really, I was right. Yeah. And that's a great way to look <laughs> at it. I mean, look, I get it. It's you. It's a different generation. You didn't want to mess it up for yourself. Yeah. I mean, I had to put my, my life mask on first, right. Um, in, in, in that situation. And, and, you know, you know, I give back their scholarships and, and, and I'm very much into, uh, charities. Usually I used to be very, um, private about it, but I think it's important as an African American for other African Americans, other people to see, uh, that, Hey, I'm not an entertainer, entertainer. I'm not an athlete. I made it and I'm giving back in these ways and not, not necessarily is like to toot my horn, but to inspire others to do the same. Back to our conversation, we were talking about, you know, giving to your kids while you are alive. How do you avoid not spoiling them? And then there's also like the gift tax too, right? So there's only like so much you can give every year. And so how do you combat some of those things? Like I also don't want to give to my kids and not have them work for their money. Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, I, within the chapter, Die, uh, um, it, within what about the kids in the book, Die With Zero, um, you know, there's optimizations upon optimizations. I think the, the, the estate tax exemption is $14 million now, which is a significant sum that you can, you can leave to, um, you know, the lifetime, uh, gift tax exemption. So, you know, once you get over $14 million, you're starting to pay estate taxes. And then there's other things like grat and, uh, grant, you know, which are, which is short for grant or annuity trust. There's lots of ways to, you know, increase the effect of tax free giving. 
But, you know, that is another question that each person has to answer individually is if you're deliberately thinking and you're off autopilot and you're thinking about your kid's life, you're thinking, okay, what is the amount of money or help that I can give them that helps them but doesn't hurt them? And I think that's going to be a different discussion for each family, right? You know, I have, I have friends that are like, no, no more than this and that because then, you know, I've seen money destroy people. And I, I, I have other people on the other end of the spectrum. My, my, my take is, is that, you know, I want my kids to be able to provide value to the world and to themselves. And I don't want to rob them of that challenge. I don't want to rob them of those, that obstacles. But I, don't, I do want to have them safe and remove some of the stress so that they can actually, you know, have a, a degree of freedom. And, and that's a very, you know, I go back and forth on what that number is and what it should be. But I'm not going back and forth on what that date is. That's for sure. And so hopefully I'll come to a conclusion between now and I would say 30 for my kids, right? And, and, and it's done. But, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of books that go into details about that on what the number should be and what you should do, et cetera. My main point is be deliberate. The same optimization that applies to you about having experiences at the right time, like we have different seasons of our life and when they pass, they're gone. It applies to your kids. And we want to maximize our gifts to them uh, just as much as we want to maximize our life. And so as long as you're deliberate, I don't think you're doing the wrong thing. The book is called Die With Zero. Bill, you said if you're comfortable living on the edge, you probably don't need this book because you're probably already on track to die with zero. But everybody else, many of us, check out this book. You've definitely impacted my perspective. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I think um, people out there are, are, will get value or we'll be able to pass on that information to other people who need this message. You can follow Bill on Instagram. He's a huge influencer there at Bill Perkins. The book again is called Die With Zero, getting all you can from your money and your life. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money. <laughs>